rock and roll. All right, and welcome to another special live episode of Psychology and Stuff, the podcast for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the Psychology Program, and I'm here today with... Regan Gurung. Regan Gurung. Just a faculty member. Just a faculty member, but a health psychology faculty member and... Social psych. Yeah, social psych. An all-around good guy on top of everything else. But also, you have a role with uh, Psychi. Yes. So describe that in MPA and and describe all for a Especially for a research chat, I think, uh, Psyche is a really good thing to think about, talk about. So I have been uh, vice president for the Midwest uh, region of Psyche for uh, four years. This is my last term. Uh, and one of the main things that I'm responsible for is organizing the undergraduate research program at the Midwestern Psychological Association. So half step back, uh, many people have heard about the American Psychological Association. The American Psychological Association has an annual meeting every year, and it moves around the countryside. And the American Psych Association also has six regional meetings. So these six regional meetings, as would be suggested by the term region, are spread out over six major geographical regions. There's the Eastern Psych Association, the Southeastern Psych Association, the Southwestern Psych Association, the Rocky Mountain Psych Association, and I'm missing one, but the Midwestern Psych Association. Uh, These six regions are APA-sponsored as it were. So that's an important thing to know. It's, it's, it's like an APA, and they're referred to as the APA regionals. Uh, many of them have, have been in existence for a very long time. Uh, I think uh, I was just at SEPA, which is the Southeastern Psych Association, that's been around for, I want to say, 60 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Midwestern Psych Association has been around, likewise, for many, many years. And what's neat about it is it's closer than going to an APA, more often mm-hmm. than not. Uh, it And it's there's a very high emphasis on undergraduate research. And that's, I think, the big thing. Something that I have seen as Psychi Vice President is that over the, even in the last five years, the number of students who submit research to the Midwestern Psych Association has increased dramatically. And, uh, and I'll give you numbers. I like numbers when it tells the story. Uh, five years ago, the number of submissions were 230. They, the next year, it jumped up to 430. The next year, it jumped up to 490. The next year, it jumped up to 600. And for the last couple of years, we've been averaging just a little over 600 submissions Hmm. from undergraduates. And that's really key. It's from undergraduates. Uh, And that number, just so you know, and all of you listening and here in the audience, the many of you here know that this is not just how all the regionals are. MPA, the Midwest Psych Association, has the largest undergraduate attendance by head and shoulders. It's no, nobody else is even close. Uh, EPA, that's Eastern, has a decent number. Uh, WPA, that's the one I missed. Western Psych Association has a decent number. But MPA, head and shoulders. Well, in, in this yeah. conference, the other thing that I think is important for people to know about MPA is that it is this conference is legit in the sense that you have some really big name psychologists who are there every year, and we can throw out some names as far as Al Bandura, right? We need to go no further than Al Bandura, who Ryan and I had the good fortune to actually have dinner with, and I think uh, I think I, I, I can speak for Ryan to say that that's probably going to be one of our forever memories of psychological greatness is sitting 
just the three of us sitting at a little table at the Palmer House Hilton. And are you, are you bringing up a picture I'm, I'm to, to take a look a at it fondly? Yeah. It. Yeah, uh, he, Ryan often likes looking at the picture fondly. <laughs> it's uh, a nice picture. It, it's a nice picture. Al. But uh, Al Bandura. This is Al Bandura, the Bobo doll. Al Bandura. I mean, and there he was. So um, other, other names, any of you who do work with... Uh, uh, social psych work. Susan Fisk was one of our speakers. Uh, Janet. Last year or was that two years ago? Uh, last year was Susan Fisk. The right. year before that was Janet Hyde. Uh, Al Bandura was the first year I was VP. VP. Uh, and, and that's just Psychi. And that's the important thing. These are Psychi speakers. They're coming to speak to Psychi. In addition, the conference also has a number of super uh, folks. I mean, you name them, you name it, and they've probably spoken at MPA. So uh, I think, and to be, you know, and coming back more locally, this is also something that for us at UW Green Bay has been a relatively recent occurrence. I mean, I can map the number of students who've been going to MPA, and the trajectory is sort of cool. Mm -hmm. Seven years ago, seven years before, seven years ago, the number of students who went to MPA was zero. Very easy to count. None. Okay. Um, and I think, quite honestly, tied to when we started doing Psychi activities, uh, seven years ago it was two, six years ago it jumped to five, five years ago it jumped to nine, and then the last four years it's gone nine, 14, 18, 21, and this year, uh, sneak preview, not letting too much out of the bag, we have a whopping 41 students who are signed up. And that is just absolutely amazing for one school, the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, to have 41 students right. going in to present research, well, or at least registered, yeah. That'll work out to be about, because most of them are seniors, not all, but yep. many are seniors. And you know, every year we have about, uh, I don't know, 90 to 100 people graduate, and so, I mean, that works out to about 40% of our students are presenting research at MPA, which is pretty incredible. So, um, but MPA isn't the only thing we've got going on right now. Um, we also have uh, the Academic Excellence Symposium, which, um, yes, closer to home, right here on campus. Um, and I did the math today, there are 26 posters being presented, but that works out to about 50 different student authors that are being presented. And by the way, um, that is happening today, I know, it. The audience is freaking out about that, but that's because oh, this, what are you doing here? <laughs> this yeah. episode is going live on Thursday. Um, so if you're listening to this right as it came out, you should maybe stop and walk upstairs or wherever you are to the Academic Excellence Symposium. Where is it? Phoenix? No, it's... Actually downstairs. It's well, downstairs. Phoenix Club. Evening. Phoenix right? Club, yeah. right. So, um, But we also have posters in the rotunda, and I think we have two or three psychology students presenting there, which is really, really extraordinary. And so, do you have the numbers for the total AES? Because, I mean, psychology is close to uh, half. You know, I don't. Okay. So I don't but have the numbers for the My total. sense yeah. is, I mean, we are, go psych, well, talking right. about representing, we mm -hmm. are representing very well All right. at the AES. So. All right. So um, here's what we want to do uh, is we want to start talking to students about their actual research. And so... Because as um, you know, you and I could talk for quite some time. Yes, yeah. we certainly could. Um, so, uh, but first, I want to give something away. So... Right. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with um, the three people who are here right at start time. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask each of you. I've written down a number one, two, or three. Vince. Two. One. Two. 
It was actually two. Nice job, Vince. Uh, so Vince, I'm going to throw a t-shirt your way. Uh, UWGB Psychology t-shirt. Wear it proudly. I got another one to get out uh, later on today. Um, okay, so here's what we want to do. We want to bring people up and we're going to ask a couple questions about their research, chat a little bit about what you've been doing. Regan is going to adjust the table one more time. Uh, who wants to come up? Anybody? Liza, do you want to go first? Let's go number you... three. Yes. There you go. <laughs> All right. We can also add walking up music. Yes. So, <laughs> Liza, if you want to just go ahead and maybe introduce yourself to our listeners, and then we've got a couple questions for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Liza Stefik. I'm a junior double majoring in human development and social work. All right, very good. So, Liza, can you start out by um, tell us a little bit about the research you're presenting? So, I am presenting research that focuses on examining concepts of death present in children's literature. And I have to first and foremost thank Dr. Cupid for her guidance and expertise in helping me through the research process. All right. So a little bit more about my research. Um, I chose to focus on 10 books that were recommended by the Association of School Psychologists to help children to cope with loss. And I looked at four biological facets um, of non-functionality, cause of death, irreversibility, and universality of death present within those books. And I looked for a coexistence of two of those, which may suggest lessening child's sad feelings about death as well as helping them to cope and those were a coexistence of non-functionality and cause and I found that in my re results that um, all of them had at least one of those biological facets present and over half of the sample had the coexistence of two. All right, wow, very good. What surprised you the most do you think in what you found? Um, I was surprised that all of the books at least had one of them, which was really good, especially since we live in such a high death-anxious society. So it's really good to see that at least one of those is present in there to help children gain that mature concept of death. All right. So, I mean, yeah, whenever we talk about death, it's one of those things that often, obviously, people don't want to talk about. Yes. Have you seen changes even in the last few years about how people talk about that, especially with kids? Yes, I think that more and more like with these books that we're not trying to get around it and just going with the mature concept. So, you know, for example, about irreversibility, not saying that, you know, grandma's dead and that she may come back or grandma just went on vacation and then she's not there. You know, that might not be the best way to go about it versus saying that grandma died because of an illness and really telling them the cause of that. Mm -hmm. yeah, actually, if I could just ask one, you used the word died, right? Grandma yes, died. the D word. Right, and, and, that's, and I, I'm glad you said that yes. because maybe you can add this to the list of things I'm peeved about. Uh, so often people use past, mm -hmm. you know, so-and-so has passed, and don't get me wrong, but I, you know, I understand why, but it almost seems like it's counter to good coping. You know, and again, yes. I'm not a, a thanatological researcher, but you know, when you, you use diet, and I think there's something there. It's like let's face, it, they have. You know, yes. now they could have gone on to heaven or uh, whatever your belief system is. You know, but I think that word past seems to. So you think that that word usage has changed as well? I think we're on the path towards changing it more. That we're still in that anxious society that we try to get around it 
And I think, though, these books might help to start doing that and saying the D word that we're all so anxious about. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing I'm struck by just as a, you know, I, with all of these projects and, and to the rest of the audience, I'm going to ask questions about kind of the, the real world implications here. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, but thinking about this, I, I, I have two kids, I know Regan has two kids, and death is so exceedingly complicated to talk about with of kids course. in that because, especially since they want answers and they're so often we don't have them, and and um, you know I found in talking to my kids about about death that they're oftentimes just sort of um, they seem like they get it, and then a month later they're asking further questions and things like that. And so I just I remember one night um, uh, 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 my son was we were reading stories, and I don't even know what brought this up for him, but he said, "So Dad, where are you when you're not there?" And I said, I didn't really know what he meant, but then as I slowly as we started to talk about it, it occurred to me that he was he wanted to know what how you could how you could be dead like what that meant yeah. and some of that and it was I think he was probably four maybe three at the time and it was this really sort of and he said well because everybody's got to be somewhere right you know and he was so really complicated to him and it stemmed from the fact that he knew that I had someone had died in, in my life and so he knew that and and so wanted to wanted to talk about it but didn't really get it and so um, what what sort of suggestions are out there for kind of helping kids deal with that complexity? I think just being direct and not trying to get around it, but also being cautious that you are mm -hmm. talking to a child and take it in steps and try not to bombard them with everything mm -hmm. and just answering the questions that they have and going from there. Mm -hmm. Very good. So sort of meeting them where they're at. And yes, not... and building off of that, but not overloading them with everything at once. Right. And probably sure. even being sensitive to the fact that people do cope differently right. yes. and there's probably a time right. to use the p word and some time to use the d word right. just so that you can you know yeah right. yeah because all children don't have that understanding of death at the same right. age that a six-year-old may right. unfortunately have the same death understanding as a 10-year-old right and this is researcher presenting at academic excellence yes is that right? that's Outstanding. correct so if you're listening to this right when it comes out, and I know you are because most people are waiting patiently or maybe impatiently for the podcast to come out. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to it right away, you can walk over to the Phoenix Club and learn more. So, Great job, Liza. Liza, for your trouble, I'm going to give you this UWGB, uh, what is this, uh, post-it post note pad, 50-year awesome. post-it note pad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, word searching. All right. Thank, thank you very you much so for coming. Much. You bet. <laughs> All right. I'm going to invite Sarah up because I know she's working the desk right now and needs Currently to get back on to the that. Block. Yes, exactly. So Sarah, come on up. You need to find a good sound effect. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what are you saying? You didn't well, like that? Actually really quick I wanted to say um, uh, you mentioned Dr. Cubit, Liza. She was on an episode of Psych and Stuff just a few weeks ago, and so you can find that she talked about death and dying in more detail. So anybody's interested in learning more about that, you can check in uh, with, with that research there. So Sarah why don't you go ahead, first of all, introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your research. Okay. Uh, my name's Sarah Busco. I'm a psych major, human development minor, and I have done my honors project on survivors of suicide, um, which I will be presenting at the Academic Excellence Symposium and at MPA. Um, basically, I interviewed some survivors of suicide, which is defined as someone who knows someone who died of suicide. So if you have like a family member, a friend, um, who died of suicide, you are a survivor of suicide. Um, I interviewed seven people about their experience 
um, their grief process, their initial reactions, how they coped, um, what their support was. Basically, you just kind of had like an open dialogue with them about um, what they went through and where they are currently in the, in the situation of grieving. Um, so that's basically what I've done so far. Um, I've, in my results, I found that um, all but one had um, thoughts of suicide of their own after they um, experienced the, the loss of someone. Um, also, a lot of them actually had really good coping mechanisms, such as talking to their family, um, doing things in memory of their loved one. But a few did talk about um, drinking alcohol more, um, which is very sad. Um, so it's basically kind of the results I found so far. Okay. And you did a side talk on this yes. last semester. And um, now have you, I guess, for those of you unaware, the side talk is actually available online. You can find it at uh, on YouTube under... Um, uh, also on the psych report, the website for, for, for psych and stuff. Um, but uh, have, you, have you done further analyses since that talk? Have there been new things that you found and discovered? Um, yes. I basically have gone through and coded all of my interviews, um, which took quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. um, basically just kind of looked more at depth of what their coping strategies were, because I didn't mm -hmm. have those at the time, um, and those kinds of things I okay. looked into more, yeah. Right. So. You know, especially interviews are, from a design perspective, we have, when we have students doing research, we see a lot of different types of research designs, and actually you are also on, uh, you have more than one poster at MPA, because you also are uh, on something that you did uh, an RA on, mm -hmm. but, you know, I was thinking about the differences in design, where that was a very social psych, easy, yeah. online interviews what do, what what surprised you about the process of doing interviews were there some frustrations surprises because it's a very different methodology it's very time intensive as you mm -hmm. said yeah um, it took a lot of time to get my questions approved um, a little bit by IRB I had to change the phrasing of my questions a little bit to um, get at the question that I wanted to ask but be really empathetic towards their grieving it's really hard to kind of find that middle ground and not you know, directly ask the question you want because it might, you know, kind of cause um, some some unforeseen things to happen. Um, but also it just taking, I have to, you know, see if I can uh, record the interviews. That took some time. Um, I had to have a separate consent form for that um, because some people might not want to be recorded. Um, I also had to make sure things were confidential um, and kind of really make sure that my coding didn't specifically show who answered the question and how they answered it um, to keep that really safe and make them more comfortable. And then it just took a lot of time to set up the interview and make sure I staged it the same every time mm -hmm. so that they felt comfortable. Um, and then just taking the time to go through the interview was like 30 or 40 minutes just for the interview and then I had to code that which took a lot of time. Right. So I have to ask and um you had actually had participants come to the side talk, is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, mm. it was really great. Um, I actually went to um, a Survivors of Suicide Support Group, which is where I got my pool of participants from. I kind of tried to build some rapport with them so they didn't just have this random student asking them, hey, tell me about um, your experience with suicide, because I thought that wouldn't mm -hmm. go so well. So I kind of built a little rapport with them and then had people reach out to me to be participants. Um, and a few of them did come to the side talk and they actually um, gave me something in memory of their loved one, which was really, really great. Mm -hmm. So I have kind, cool. of, kind yeah. of some memorabilia to um, keep them in mind and thank them. Mm -hmm. So Wonderful.
Well, thank you very much. Anything else you want to say about your research or about the topic? Um, I guess I really hope people take the time to ask questions. I know my topic's kind of hard to talk about. Um, so I hope people ask questions. And also I know it's kind of doesn't have like the flashy graphs that a lot of other posters will have just because I, it's all basically, you know, words. So it's mm -hmm. feel free to ask questions. I like questions. And the, uh, real quick, the supervisor for this was Dr. Wilson Dungeness. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. And she is. She's been on Psych and Stuff. She will be on another episode, actually, for Earth Week. Uh, she's going to come and talk a little bit about environmental psych, which very different from what you your yes. research. But, uh, very good. Well, thank you very much, sir. So. Thank you. And, and you get a bumper sticker. Phoenix found awesome. here. It took me about 20 minutes to read that middle word because it's backwards, but it's yeah. found. Yeah. Okay. Well, UWGB thank you. I wouldn't have been able to read that either. Here. So there you have it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Who wants to come up next? Chad. Come on up, Chad. Well, I'll break the mode and not talk about death. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've had, a, we've had sort of a sad start to well, it's, our... It's yeah, part of the lifespan development, right? Human it's tragedy is part of what psychologists right. study. So. Crypt All to right. the crypt. All right. Exactly. We've done... So we've got Chad Osteen. Chad, can you go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your research? Sure. Um, my name's Chad Osteen. Um, I'm doing actually research with the aid of Dr. Garung this semester. Um, and I'll be presenting research on how religious primes and scientific primes can affect altruistic behavior, so really helping behavior. Um, and the way I've done this is I've given people sentences which they have to unscramble, and they might have holy words like, uh, this cake is divine would be a sentence like that, divine being the word that would prime you for religion. And then afterwards, it's seen how much money you would um, give to someone else or keep for yourself. So that's basically the brunt of the research. So what have you found? Well, uh, kind of doing round two here, because uh, last semester... And, and, you know, let, let's the, the found is good, but let's even tease it a little bit more, because, okay. you know... A little bit before, we talked with Sarah about different methodologies, okay. and I think Chad's a great example of where he's forced to use different methods. What did you say a little bit about, you know, what you first tried and, and then what you came up with? Right. And I mean, this is a neat situation where you have three different methodologies to test the same question. Mm -hmm. So very neat there. So if you could unpack that yeah. and then go on to the, yeah. yeah. So we first started out is we were going to do it entirely online. This would be super easy for all of us to just collect as much data as possible, especially for many psych students that just want a quick ERP credit. Um, it turns out that the way we did this didn't seem to be power powerful enough um, to get any type of significant data. Um, so I went back to literature and found that a majority of the research is done in person. Um, so switching from last semester, um, we're doing a lot of it in the lab now, where um, instead of just saying you have this theoretical money or something like that, and also using um, some different programs, which made it rather, rather difficult merging those files, mm -hmm. uh, they now have physical dollars in front of them, and they're looking at that. And that data is currently being kind of teased apart right now. Um, and also at the second semester one, we're seeing if the online methodology was the issue, um, where we have an online study alongside an in-person study. So that will be really interesting to see the differences in methodology there. Yeah, good. All right. So now, can I ask what you found? What were some of the big findings, the, the, main, the main findings so far? Well, like I said, the first, <laughs> uh, first um, study, we didn't find uh, okay. anything. It was playing across the board. Okay. Um, the second round, we're at Teesmart right now. I'm looking for effect sizes. Oh, okay. um, preliminarily, right, right. <laughs> preliminarily um, we're finding some significance, which okay. is nice. Sure. 
I mean, this is literally live chats analyzing yeah. these oh, okay. yes. these days. So, so, yeah. so what uh, what are the I don't want to call them anticipated findings, but based on what you got, I, I always like to think about, okay, so what is this going to mean to the average listener? Right. So what, what do you think uh, you anticipate finding, and what do you think that those things are going to mean for our average listener? Okay, so what I'd like to find is actually that the scientific primes and the religious primes elicit both altruistic behaviors over the control. And so people see this kind of, kind of this vague thing, and this is going to get a little controversial for a second, um, but, <laughs> you know, controversial side talk. Um, but we hear a lot in the media um, that we need religion um, to really help us with making moral decisions. Mm -hmm. um, you'll hear about the moral majority and stuff like that. Um, so my question is, do we really need that? Does it create mm -hmm. moral behaviors, or is science and really law, which is another kind of tangential related to this, right. Do they also create moral behavior? So right. that's really the question I'm getting at is kind of that media, you know, mm -hmm. clickbait kind of thing we're put a lot. And this has been a thing you've been interested in since you started yes. college, right? Yes. I mean, that, that you've been, uh, something you plan on studying. Because you, do, you, do you have other majors, minors? I know you studied philosophy a little I bit. I did. Okay. Um, I'm officially a psychology major and a human development minor, but I wavered and I have taken philosophy courses and biology courses. So okay. I've been all over the board. Okay. <laughs> well, good. And that's a good thing. Yes. So. Good. I mean, and, and it, it does sound, even when you talk about it, as a, a very nice interdisciplinary kind yes. of thing. I mean, there's very explicit philosophy in there. Yes. You know, and yeah. Very good. Cool. And so, and this is being presented at AES and MPA? Correct. Is that right? Yes. Outstanding. So, AES and then MPA, by the way, uh, not till May, so we got a little bit of time there. Yep. But still another big event coming up. Very good. Awesome. Thank you very much. Enjoy this University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Thank folder. you so much. <laughs> Use it proudly. All right, who's up? Vince, come on up. Vince, our big t-shirt winner from last time. Congratulations That's right. That's right. on that. Wear it proudly. All right. I'm going to do this. Let's turn thing. Right? Yeah, the turn thing. You turn yeah, it so, so my that peas don't pop. So your peas don't pop. Yeah, don't we learned pop a lesson peas. today. Yeah. So. Um, go ahead. Introduce yourself. Talk a little bit about your research. Hey, everyone. I'm uh, Vince Badalamenti, and I am currently a junior here at UW-Green Bay. I'll be graduating in December with a psychology degree, a major in psychology and a minor in human development. Um, I'm also the MPA coordinator for Psychi, which is pretty cool. We just started that up, so if any of you are interested in taking over my position, come talk to me. <laughs> yep, because we're going to um, need it next yep, year. Yep, it's a, it's a fun job. Pretty easy, too. Is that a job we've always had? Or no, is it's brand new. Okay, Vince good. is the first inaugural MPA yeah. coordinator. Because yeah. I feel like past Psychi presidents have felt a little overwhelmed by that right. responsibility. So that's a good, smart thing to do. Good. So okay. it is... Divide the responsibility. Yeah, that's good. Send it off to someone else. It's the evolution of psychi. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit about your, your research. All right. Well, so my research is based on the concept of social facilitation. And um, that basically states, like, have you ever felt um, that you perform better or worse when you have someone you know watching you or you perform better or worse in front of an audience? That's kind of what, like, I my uh, research is based on. Um, what I did though is I, I kind of wanted to do it with relationships because I know when I was growing up and I had someone I liked watching me, I felt like I performed a lot better. And so what I did is I decided to take um, people who were in relationships and I'd have them write about their relationships um, for about five minutes and then I would have them uh, take a math test and also do, fill out a couple satisfaction index um, to see how satisfied they were in their relationship. And then that was one group. And the other group would write about campus. Um, 
about the campus and kind of um, stuff like that. And we did not find any significant results. Um, I think maybe because the writing wasn't long enough because it was only five minutes, so that, that could have something to do with it. Um, but yeah, that's basically my research right okay. there in a nutshell. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned it because yeah, as luck would have it in the lineup, you know, you're following Chad who also did some priming and you did some priming, yep. right? And and I think you mentioned in terms of priming, maybe the five minutes wasn't enough of a prime for relationships. You, and, and if I remember correctly, you also, when you looked at the, the content, you also found some surprising content, right? That may have sweet stuff. You want to see a little yeah. bit about that? Um, so going through some of the results, teasing it away, uh, instead of just looking at a lot of the statistics around it, we kind of looked at the content. And we had a couple people that weren't very satisfied in their relationship. And they were they were writing some pretty uh, some pretty deep stuff about how bad their relationship was going. And it was, it was interesting to see. And a lot of those people tended to score lower on the couple satisfaction index, which is what we'd hoped for. So you know that they weren't uh, like just throwing stuff in there uh, just to get the research done. They were actually doing it. So, but yeah, the content was interesting to read. I didn't read all of them, but most of them. So, so what got you interested in the research in the first place? Um, like, like I said before, I, I think that uh, I, I've always been a big fan of, you know, trying to to increase performance in any way possible. Um, so, like for me, when when I was uh, when I was younger, and I'd have someone watch me, like my parents or something, and I always perform better for them. And I was I was always curious on why that was. So I think that's what really got me interested in this uh, line of the research. So I think that's that that's what did it for me. I think about social facilitation every time I run because when I'm alone, I'll walk every yeah. now and then. But then yeah. I'll see like a person in the distance, and I'll think. Uh-oh. Yeah. Start running again. So well, that, well, and that's why the bell and run is great, because yeah. for 10K, there are people watching you. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard to not push yourself on the bell and run. So, yeah. Even yeah. still, I've noticed, though, that if I see a person in the, oh, yep, uh, yep. Like in the audience that I know, I end up speeding up a little bit, even, even yeah. unintentionally. So. And so that's the big thing that uh, Norman Triplett, who actually did the, the research, he said that there, it was called a co-action effect. And if you see someone, if you're in competition with someone, you're you're more likely to perform better, you're better, more likely to give it your all than to just kind of slough off. So that was pretty interesting too. Yeah. See, the secret to being lazy then is to just wear a mask yes. when you're running. Yes. If nobody knows who you are, you can walk the whole way. Exactly. So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there we have it. All right. Well, thank you very much, miss. Uh, yeah. Let's see. What do you want here? Uh, post it notes. You already UWG. have a t-shirt. Yeah, I already yeah. have a t-shirt, so I don't... You say this sure? for some other Ooh. lucky winner. Okay, wow, I just had stuff turned down. <laughs> Altruism, Chad. You primed him to be altruistic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. Way to go, Chad. All right. All right. You got All a right. Good. Yep. Enjoy. Right. So, thanks, guys. Thank All, right. All right. Who wants to come up next? Don't be shy. Right. There's movement. All right. Vince, I, I think I, I can't remember if I asked or not. Academic excellence and MPA, or just one? Academic, both. Both. All right. So both academic. That's great. All right. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell people a little bit about your research? Yeah. So my name is Michelle McChesney, and um, I am doing research with the Psychology and Human Development Research Team. 
Um, so about like two years ago, um, the club started having a research team that anybody could join. Anybody in the club can join the research team. So you don't have to have the GPA and you don't have to be like a junior. You don't have to be junior, senior standings. Um, so it's a really good opportunity to get like anybody involved. So I was able to start doing research as a sophomore, which was really cool and a great opportunity. And so then I got hooked and I've been doing it for two years now. Um, so this year we did research on um, cross-cultural competencies obtained through the study abroad program. Um, the study abroad program was looking to find actual data on their program to show like legislators and the government kind of that the program still deserves funding. Um, so we worked with Professor Sawa Senzaki and um, we obtained like all this background research kind of looking at what we could do to figure out how our program is being effective. Um, so we found a survey um, used by another study in 2005, um, the researcher Fantini used it, and um, so we used that, we contacted the researcher and um, figured out how we were gonna make sure that our program was matching up to theirs. Um, and then we used that his survey um, and we gave it to students prior to studying abroad and then after studying abroad and since it was our first trial run we did it just for the winter study abroad program but it will continue like in the spring or like in the summer and following after that um, the study abroad program is hoping to just continue using it to make sure that they're receiving good outcomes from their program but anyways for the winter program we gave it to participants prior to um, leaving and then once they returned and we also had a control group um, and we just assessed a whole bunch of different things so it asked about like how participants felt about themselves like in their host culture compared to other cultures um, and it talked about like their knowledge of other cultures their skills in their own culture versus other cultures um, and what we found is that our university is actually comparable has comparable increases in knowledge and skills and intercultural competencies as other pro study abroad programs have. So that's really good and it provides some concrete data mm -hmm. for us to know that our study abroad programs are actually working. Um, another thing we found that was really awesome was at the beginning before students studied abroad there was quite a variance in like how people like maybe people believed they were patient in their own culture but in another culture they weren't patient at all. And after studying abroad we found that those differences are, there's like no difference anymore. So people felt the same about themselves in their own culture as in other cultures, which kind of shows that like they're adapting more as a person and growing as a person from that experience. Neat. Very cool. I love, I think that the, that research project is a really great thing that the club's been doing these last couple of years. And I think it, what, a couple of neat things, because you said it's Dr. Senzaki who sponsored this year. Last year is Dr. Holstead. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in the three years it's run, we've had three different supervisors. So it's a nice way for um, for uh, students and to get involved in research. Right. I think it's really cool. Right. And I think for people listening, the, you know, just to highlight some of the things you said, Michelle, is it's really neat that you don't have to commit to three credits or mm -hmm. two credits or one credit. I mean, you're just doing it. It's much easier to really get your feet wet mm -hmm. and doing it yeah, in a much less structured sort of mm -hmm. format, but still learning something. Right. Yeah. And it was really nice. Like I went in as a sophomore, and I had just finished research methods, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I can't take on a whole research project. But it was really nice having the support of like you have a professor, and you have a whole group of students who are like there to help you and guide you and teach you along the way. So that was really nice. When you're taking on really important topics too, that I think are critical for the programs to understand, because I think you know last year's was on student. You were involved in last year's, <laughs> right? And it was on student engagement and the majors and things like that. And so these are important 
uh, projects kind of helping us assess our learning outcomes and things like that. So it's really great. And where are you presenting that? Um, so we are presenting at the Academic Excellence Symposium. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have one um, member of our group is taking it to posters in the rotunda oh, wow. in the middle of Who April. Who is that now? Courtney, Courtney is okay. taking it. That's yeah. great. And then we are also presenting at MPA, so we are excited for the upcoming months. Nice. That is outstanding. Great. Thank and actually, you know, and now it sounds like and before we before we went live, you talked about it's actually now giving you some ideas for what that how for what you're going to do. Do you want to say a little bit about what your next steps with research? Yeah. So um, I am now finally gained the confidence, I guess, to go out on my own and do my own research. So um, after working with um, Professor Sinzaki, I've been able to like talk more about like children and she does a lot of research with children so like working with her has helped me make a connection with like children and then I've worked with Holstead last year so she we would talked about children in schools and stuff as well and so next year I'm going to be doing an independent study analyzing there's some there's data that's um, present or that all the schools in Wisconsin kind of like they have, there's a website with all the data from schools in Wisconsin. I'm going to be analyzing some of that to see some of the outcomes of the programs that are the school programs in Wisconsin. Very exciting. Very nice good. trajectory. Nice job. Great. Thank you. All right. I want to give away another T-shirt, so I'm going to do that. And nothing for him. Michelle? Oh, whoa, whoa, sorry, yeah, Michelle, well, yeah, you ran off. Sorry, I forgot. Here you go. Uh, another, you were probably waiting patiently yeah. in the yeah. time. Sorry. I there saw the go. stutter at the enjoy, chair. Enjoy, she thought, enjoy what about a bumper me? sticker. Yeah. UWGB Phoenix Foundry. Um, thank you for catching that. Good. Uh, let's see, there's what, how many people here? Six? Is that right? Six? All right, so I've got another number between one and six. Let's hear some guesses. It is two. Uh, nicely done. So, Go no further. Just yeah, in case I went Sarah two said again. two. Yeah. Well, she said two. Then two right. t-shirts. And nice catch. All right. Will, and you, yes, <laughs> that would have been sad. You want to come on up and do? Um, also, you just baited me. Yes, exactly. Since, you got, since we got you moving, keep no, moving. I wrote it down before just to prove that there's no funny business. Well, there was two right? last time, so I figured two. Well, yeah, I, yep. <laughs> and it'll be two next time, too, just warning. Just kidding. You're leaving? You don't have to whisper. <laughs> okay. They're, they're upset they didn't get a T-shirt. Oh man! Wow. wow. I know. So this, uh, yeah, right we just lost our shoot. I could have. They could have come up. Okay. Oh, send, well, send Will back. Yeah. yeah. Want to switch? Well, no, they already left now. So. <laughs> All right. All right. Will, uh, make sure you're talking to the mic too. Oh. A little bit. I suppose people want to hear me. Yes. Yeah. All right, Will, introduce yourself. Talk a little bit about your research. Uh, well, my name is Will Vogt. I'm a senior. I graduate this May, which is in like 41 days <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but uh, so I did two research projects uh, that I'm both presenting at uh, Academic Excellence and MPA. Um, the first one I did last year, but I kind of finished it up this year. Uh, I was on uh, clothing and test anxiety. Uh, so what we did there is uh, basically we had three conditions. Now, Siri. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> anyway, before we were interrupted, um, what we did, we had three conditions. Uh, we had a blazer condition, a sweatshirt condition, and a control. And so what we did is it was kind of based off of uh, Adam and Galinsky's uh, enclosed cognition. And so basically what our hypothesis was is individuals who are wearing the blazer would feel more prepared and then have be less affected by the test anxiety manipulation. Mm -hmm. uh, 
didn't really didn't really pan out that way. Um, well, basically, one of the main problems we had is uh, we had some incomplete data. I think of our 65 participants when we came down to actually being able to do the like uh, stats on it, we had like 32 mm -hmm. participants. So that's like half our sample right there. Uh, and it's also possible that our manipulation wasn't strong enough. I mean, for our manipulation, basically what we had, we did is we kind of uh, deceived them a little bit and we're like, hey, uh, just so you know, like in f after you finish this, this survey, we're gonna ask you to go in another room and we're gonna ask you to give a five minute speech of a topic of your choosing. And me, I would have freaked out. So I figured everybody else would have too. But uh, it's a possibility that it wasn't believable or maybe okay. it just wasn't that strong of an effect. Uh, then the second one was my honors project, and it was something I was uh, really interested in uh, because I work as a line therapist uh, with children with autism. Uh, so basically, um, working in, uh, I always had an uh, idea of like people had a general understanding of what autism was and how it affects children. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to examine like how we can uh, help change these perceptions towards children with autism, since they're being uh, integrated into classrooms and they have uh, they've reported having negative effects uh, with their peers and interactions with teachers. Uh, so what we did there is we uh, found a scale, uh, the social attitudes towards autism scale, which is actually developed by professors at UW Lacrosse. Uh, so we did that and then we gave them. Uh, uh, autism PSA and so they viewed that and then they took the PSA or they took the scale and then the control group watched a, a sugar PSA and then they took the same scale and attitudes uh, in the experimental condition were significantly higher towards autism than the control. Hmm. All right so found some interesting facts. What do you think it means in the sort of grand scheme of things like what what would you what, what should our listeners take from your findings? Uh, well uh, I think that this was like the beginning of like a longer line of research because this was this uh, study was done with college age mm -hmm. kids. Uh, what ideally what I'd like to do is focus on the children because those are the individuals who are actually in right. like the same cohort as the children with autism. Uh, and also it was a it was a one time manipulation. I okay. think in order to other uh, research that's shown that a one time manipulation can alter attitudes for up to three months. Hmm. But I think in order to actually have like concrete change. Mm -hmm. I think it needs to be spread out over time. Okay. And so there's all that like future areas of interest for me. Okay. Cool. Uh, but it's important to change yeah. attitudes towards autism obviously because right. there's a lot of negative stigma that mm -hmm. still kind of surrounds it. And one in 68 children right. have autism. One in 45 men. Right. Just that man. Yeah, well I think uh, it's interesting to the way you talked about, especially the two projects. You also show some methodological variance and actually a flip and counter to what we've heard earlier on, where you saw Chad going from online to face to face. You went from face to face to an online, and I think uh, if I remember correctly, you experienced. I mean, there were problems with no shows, and I mean, you mentioned 65, but I think the listeners should probably know it took you a semester and a half yeah. to write to get. 65 people to actually come in and do something. So uh, I think something else is, you know, to go back, to focus in on something that you said, you know, the, the key focus, you'd really like to see if you can change children's attitudes. Now, so I guess a listener could be saying, hey, but then why don't you work with children? And I know you have an answer to that. Yes. <laughs> um, one, children are uh, under, like, ethics. Children are protected. Um, but 
it's very hard to be able to recruit children, especially school-age children who aren't in like a daycare program or an after-school program because the public schools like to be protective and they like to say, hey, no, uh, we don't really feel comfortable with that. And uh, so I decided to go to private schools and I thought that was gonna be a great thing. Uh, and I received, uh, they said, we don't have any children with autism there. And I was like, oh, all right, weird, because, <laughs> right, never mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. I work okay. there with a child who has autism, but. <laughs> okay. No comment. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> yes. no more comment. No more comment. No more comment. A little late for the no comment part. Oh, the bike yeah. drop. Yeah. Is that the bike drop? Oh. It's very expensive, so don't. Yeah. 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 Don't drop this mic. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, okay. Okay. Um, I had a question. Good. Oh, uh, career goals, things like that. How does this fit into things that you're kind of thinking about doing next? It's a question I didn't ask of anyone else. Yeah, I know. I didn't have. You, I didn't you got have a special to, a special question. Yeah. I don't have time to prepare for that now. Uh, <laughs> ultimate, like my ultimate career goal would to be do research on like neuropsychology with okay. children with autism. Okay. That's like my ultimate career goal. Okay. Uh, as of right now, I am taking a year off, and uh, through Fox Valley Autism, there's a there's a step up once you have your bachelor's degree okay. in working with children with autism. And so I'm going to take a year off, and I'm going to do that and kind of pursue okay. that. Who, um, want to ask quick, well, I guess first mention, you are on a previous episode of Psych and Stuff yes. with your supervisor from Fox Valley Autism. That is so, correct. Um, so if you're interested in that, there's a lot more to be heard from um, I'm Cindy. Yes. Yes, from Will and Cindy uh, in that episode. But also... Um, yeah, I forgot the second part. Of that's what I was all right. Say. <laughs> so, no idea what it was going to be. Yeah, uh, that's a right. bummer. Yeah, that's oh, all right. That's we'll all right. Get, I'll get there. Um, so, very, uh, thank you very much <laughs> for other questions. For well, yeah, it, as you probably know, a lot of our students are interested in autism and mm -hmm. working with autism. Uh, any any tips for them? Uh, Research-wise, or just working right. with them in general. In, in your experience, especially uh, since you're giving, you know, getting close to graduation, uh, experiences that you particularly benefited from that you may want to make sure other uh, they uh, they also hear about. Uh, for for research-wise, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good information out there uh, for research. Um, there's a lot of scales and stuff like that. And it, a lot depends on what you want to look at. Uh, I mean, if I would have had the opportunity, I would have loved to look at more of a, like a neurological yeah. component, but that's, that would take a lot of time and also equipment, and equipment I don't know how to use, so <laughs> that would be a problem. But um, uh, no, it's just, it's really hard to, if you want to work directly with uh, participants who have autism, uh, it's incredibly difficult to be able to get that sample. I remember what I was going to ask. Who's your supervisor? Uh, for both of them, Dr. Regan Grow. All right. Dr. Grow. Great. Very good. So, wonderful. Well, thank you very awesome. much. <laughs> yeah. And he's already got a t-shirt. So. And I've been told I can't give prizes to people who already got t-shirts. So, nothing. No prize for you, sir. Uh, <laughs> in addition to the t-shirt. I think that's all we've got here. So, um, I want to say a couple of, first of all, I want to thank all of our guests. Thank you all very much for coming. Anybody have anything they want to add? We can say it into the mic. Anything you, you want us to add before we call it a day? This goes live Thursday, so. 
Yeah, that'll be after the grad school panel. So if you missed the grad school panel, tough luck. You should have been, you should have been paying attention. Uh, we had a grad school panel uh, yesterday, I guess, if this is Thursday. So Wednesday the 6th and, uh, and some other stuff. No, no, so that's Tuesday. Grad school panel is Tuesday, I think. Right? Uh, alumni panel is on the 6th. So all sorts of stuff that happened already once you're listening to this that you should have uh, been paying attention to. Um, Regan, do you have anything you want to add? I think that the one other thing to keep in mind, too, is, you know, we've obviously this whole episode has been about research. Mm-hmm. Uh, UW Green Bay has been doing just a wonderful job in providing more resources for research. Uh, we have got a lot more connected on the national level, the Council for Undergraduate Research. Uh, the acronym is CUR. Uh, CUR and us have been doing a lot more, or we and CUR have been doing a lot more. Uh, I'd also like to uh, do a little shout out to the provost office who uh, is actually providing funding for the printing of all the posters of the people that spoke here right. and are presenting. And I mean, we're talking a sizable number of posters that count, uh, that cost a sizable amount of money. And I think the psych department is extremely grateful to right. the provost office for that funding. Yep. I mean, again, just reiterate what we said before. We got 26 different presentations at Academic Excellence. That's 50 different students. And Regan, if you want to say the MPA numbers again. uh, 41 students going to MPA. Yeah, which is really just extraordinary. And all of those have posters, all of those. And so so special thanks to the provost office for that. Do you have anything else you want to say just about you and Well, I I think, you know, hopefully a lot of the people, not so much me in life, but I think uh, (laughs) uh, I hope... It's always uh, it's it's always wonderful to run into students who like to do research. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually I am sure that there are many more students who would like to do research but haven't talked about coming to us and asking about it. Mm-hmm. So if you are listening to this and you don't even know about the different individualized research op- opportunities, mm-hmm. to quickly recap, a good place to start is as a research assistant to build on what uh, Michelle said. Actually, you could even do an ad-, ad hoc kind of of research with the club. But the normal pattern, of course, is uh, research assistantship, uh, independent studies, honors projects. Mm -hmm. And these are not things that you sign up for uh, SIS. You come speak to a faculty member uh, and sign up for it. So, uh, you know, many of us do research in many, many different areas. We love working with you all. I mean, quite honestly, it's one of the most satisfying experiences to be able to sit down one-on-one. And even though you've heard about some of the frustrations, and I know Chad and I and Will and I in particular with our different methodological issues, we've had lots of, you know, barriers to overcome, but that's life. That's research. And I think as a student, you actually get to go behind the curtain. It's one thing reading a textbook where some author, you know, Mm -hmm. has summarized research. It's even another thing to read a journal article where some uh, researcher has written up their research. It's a completely different thing to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting, and it's fun, and it's eye-opening. So... If we've teased you, and I hope we have to do some research, come speak to a faculty member uh, and uh, get signed up to do some research. Well, I also, final point before we, we sign off for today is that these, this research has real-world implications right. as well. Like, this is not stuff that's happening. You know, I've used that expression twice today, and I hate that expression. I'm sorry, real world. But um, but I think what it comes down to is that there is an impact to, to the community. There's an impact to lots of people. Um, this isn't research that's just happening here. This is research that is going to be presented at conferences and it's research that ultimately in some cases is going to be published and yeah. so um, this is this is I think a lot of, of serious stuff so um, you're on Twitter and your handle is Regan A.R. Garunga all right and I am Rye C. Mart on Twitter um, a couple people I want to thank Kim, uh, Kate Farley our producer thank you Kate round of applause for Kate 
Kimberly Vlees, who does our podcast art and I, that I love. Um, also, next episode, we're going to be talking with, uh, actually, Will, you're going to be back next week. One of our guests today is going to be back for, I think this will be, what, your fourth episode of... Uh, yeah, he is a podcast all-star. I think he's been on as many as me at this point. Um, and uh, the Brown County Volunteer Center, actually. We're going to be talking about the new internship program and just the value of giving to the community and the work they do. So looking forward to that. That is all I've got. Thank you all very much. Have a super Thursday. Yes. <laughs>